Welcome back to Beyond the Bar podcast. I'm your host, Denise Tova. And today I had the pleasure of sitting down with a family law and divorce attorney, Adam Wolf. He's a partner of a law firm called Alter Wolf Foley and Stutman in New York City. And, you know, Adam is a man of many facets from a math and science whiz to a legal expert. And I know he's a passionate teacher. And, you know, his, his journey is actually, it, it is interesting and intriguing because he's a man who finds comfort in numbers, but he also thrives in the complexity of human emotions. I mean, that, that's an interesting combination to me. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you, Denise, for having me. And thank you definitely for doing this program. I've been following and watching and really appreciate your opening this up to everyone. It's really, um, really a tribute. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for your kind words. And, you know, Adam, you, you shared a little bit of your story with me. And, um, you, you know, you mentioned there was a pivotal moment in college where you actually shifted your path from science and engineering to law. How did that come about? Yeah, I started in college thinking I was going to be in a world where management and technology met at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, and I was at Penn taking a bunch of classes and did what, you know, always enjoyed those, those, those areas and physics and things like that in calculus and really thought that was my path. And I took these English seminar classes, um, small groups of people talking about literature um, and suddenly finding the connecting with the group on what we were talking about and reading these works and, uh, that that was an area that had never really been expressed as something that I was good at. You know, teachers always said, you're good at math, so we're going to move you to this side of the room and go do the math over there. Uh, and now for the first time in that environment, really enjoying it. And at the same time, I was taking a legal studies class, introduction to legal studies, they called it, on the theory that all Wharton students needed to have some knowledge of the law. And we were reading these old opinions by Justice Cardozo in New York. And I remember thinking, wow, look what he's doing with these words. It's so cool. Uh, and spent the rest of my college career shifting from management technology and math and science over towards thinking about going to law school. And did that at California Berkeley, which you can't get much further from Wharton than California Berkeley. Uh, but it was fantastic for me, yeah. Words. Th those are such, I guess those are distinct I mean, distinct worlds. Um, so you fell in love with the language how, when you when you got to uc berkeley how how did you i'm just curious how did you start thinking about the future then you know i think most law students first year you're just trying to get through and learn what it was like um to be a lawyer and to quote think like a lawyer you know and you're, you're told in law school you know we're teach how to think like a lawyer not necessarily how to practice law and so you spend, I shouldn't say you, I spent, you know, my first year or two trying to kind of figure that out. Um, and there's a little bit of a path of least resistance when you're in law school, which I took at least from my first summer job and went to a, you know, a, a New York firm that had a summer program and learned about the different departments there and so forth and thought I was going to be a, a litigator on graduating law school. Um, you know, in college, I had worked for a professor. And so I saw some value in, 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 in academia. Um, and 
I appreciated the role that it played, but I never thought that that was where I was going to end up, even though I really enjoyed being an assistant to the teacher, this professor, and really learned a lot about the process and what it was like and gained a lot of respect for what he did. Uh, but I didn't get a sense that was for me. So in law school, I don't know that I was really much thinking about the future at first. I think I was doing what they were telling you to do. You know, and I remember first year at Berkeley, we had a couple of events with recent law school graduates. And they would say, you know, life's never going to get better than it is in law school. Enjoy it. I go to all my friends and I'd be like, these recent lawyers are telling us we should enjoy it. You know, let's go mountain biking. Let's do something, you know, and enjoy, you know, here I lived in the Berkeley Hills at the time. And they were all like, no, we have to study. And I'm like, the recent lawyers are telling us, don't worry about that. You should listen to them. They just finished this process. Um, so, you know, my law school experience wasn't so much thinking about the future. It was really just trying to live in the moment of what is this mm. process like? Um, and also enjoying where I was and, and what those years had added to my understanding of the world, which please don't ask about that. I'd never be able to quantify what living in Berkeley does to a person. <laughs> that is so it, it is it is very interesting to me. You were exposed to different experiences. You were open to various experiences and and even if you didn't know you know, in that moment, what that really meant. Um, and, and I love when you said be, staying in the moment, uh, which really brings me to what you and I spoke about. And it's it's almost a, a topic that we're passionate about is the art of listening and, and really listening, right? Because that is so important. And I think most people say they listen, but they're constantly preparing and formulating their answers. And I shouldn't say most people, because I'm certainly, I, I had been one of them and I'm, I'm doing, I think, a, a better job or at least trying to catch myself not to get caught in the same pattern. But I realized actually, and, and um, uh, incidentally through this podcast that I really deepen the interaction with my, with my guests when I lean into what they're saying instead of trying to anticipate what they might say and what my answers or next question should be. Um, so, but, but in your profession um, as an attorney, it may be, I wonder if it's a little different when somebody's paying you for advice and then, but then sometimes, you know, they just want to vent. How do you navigate that um, in terms of, you know, listening in, 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 in your profession? And then a follow-up question is, what type of advice, what would you tell incoming attorneys about listening? Um, first of all, I, I appreciate the, the the focusing on that. And I do think that that's something where I've strived on getting better. Um, I do think you're right. It might have been even a, a moment. I don't remember if you and I talked about it specifically, but in one of the Quentin Tarantino movies, yeah, where John Travolta asks Uma Thurman, you know, do you listen or do you wait to talk? Um, and I think that's a little bit about what you were just kind of talking about, right? Is, are you listening yeah. or are you just formulating what you're going to say next? Um, you know, and I've struggled with how to do that better and better. I actually find that um, when I'm taking notes, I sometimes start scribbling what I want to write, what I want to say in response. So sometimes I've tried to avoid active note taking in the minute, like while somebody's speaking, because for me, it didn't work. For me, I started writing what I'm going to say next instead of listening and taking notes. Um, and I know that, that that's not probably a common experience, but that's the way it was for me. Um, so I'll go back and write my notes after you're done talking, but not while you're talking, because then that just didn't work for me as much. Um, you know, I think with clients, one of the things 
you asked specifically, how do you navigate that with clients? I think sometimes when they're done talking, I've actually, you know, so I'll ask them point blank, okay, what, where do you see this conversation going? And um, mm. I think I talked to you a little bit about, I did a, a little recording for a division of the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers Communications Initiative, um, saying that sometimes in the middle of a conversation, you have to stop and ask, why are we having this conversation? Or what are you trying to get out of telling me this? Um, especially given how uniquely personal a lot of the things we do is, there are times clients are just sharing with you because they want you to understand the, the landscape better. And sometimes they're telling you because they want you to do something right now. Um, and if it's not crystal clear from what they've done, I, you know, the older I get, the more comfortable I'm asking, okay, why are you telling me this? Are you telling me this to act on it? Or are you telling me this because you just want me to have a better um, sense of color of what everything's mm -hmm. going on? And um, I think like most people when I was younger and a little more overconfident than, than I deserve to be, you know, when you assumed you knew what people were saying and you assumed you knew what the next step was. Yeah. Um, you didn't have to listen as well because you already knew it all, right? And so, you know, the older I get, the, the, the better I'm getting at realizing how little I know. And um, so I think that translates to not being afraid to tell people, okay, I hear you. Where do you see, where do you see this information helping, um, helping me help you? Um, and why are you telling mm. me this? Where, where, where did this all come from? So, you know, when you talk about advice to younger lawyers, I think that's, it's kind of hard because I think some of that comes with confidence of, um, yeah. having done this for a while and, and having the comfort that um, you don't have to prove that you're smart. You know, there's a lot of smart people doing what we do. You know, there's a lot of smart people doing what we do. And I think um, I, more than many, and some more than me, um, felt the need to prove myself as part of that smart group when we were younger. Um, but we're all smart enough to do what we do. So I think that part of it is just trying to explain to people, you know, you'll get there. Um, but you have to do it over and over and over again and, and listen carefully and, and try to adapt to what you're learning and let it form a full picture. Does that oh. answer what you were asking? You know what? I am actually practicing what I'm preaching here. You know, <laughs> I, I really fully took in what you're saying and was just really just, just it, I, I, I feel like it, it resonates. Sometimes I'm just sort of noticing like how, what 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 it what it does internally and i was connecting with what you're saying and and i love what you said and no absolutely you've you, you've answered i love what you said instead of saying well you know what i tell the incoming attorneys they should do this or that you're considering sort of their i don't know if you would call it maturity level but where they're at in their life and 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 i think when you're not formulating a response there is that there is that fear of sort of being caught off guard and not knowing and what is it going to look like, right? Sort of there's that opens you up to vulnerability. And and with age, uh, I think you're right. It just, we're able to just sort of shrug it off and it's like, you know what? I don't know. It's okay to say you don't know. Um, so that's, yes, that's, I, I definitely resonate with what you're saying. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I appreciate the way you put it that, you know, I don't know are really hard words. Um, I know we're talking as uh, lawyers and professional colleagues, but I'll also say, you know, as somebody who listens to people talking about their marriages unfolding, um, and one of the things I've worked on personally, um, and gosh, I hope Cindy doesn't mind me sharing this, but like having the courage to say, I'm sorry to your spouse um, is I think, you know, something that I, 
is the home version of what we're talking about here about at work, right? At work, I think being able to say, I don't know. Um, and because you're worried that people will think, oh my God, this person's an idiot. I'm never, you know, I got to fire them and hire somebody new. Um, and then I think in our personal lives, a lot of times we don't say I'm sorry because we're worried like, oh my God, if Cindy realizes what an idiot I am, she's never going to, you know, she's not going to want to stay in this marriage if she realizes how stupid I am. So, you know, saying I'm sorry to your spouse is a really powerful thing. And having the confidence that they're going to say, it's okay. Um, thank you for saying that. I think um, is really hard. Um, hopefully I'll get, get it. Hopefully I'll get better at it. Um, I, I think I'm better at it now than I was five or 10 years ago. Um, and it, it's an uphill battle, I think, even still. So I don't know if it's parallel to what we're talking about here at work. It is. It is very much so. I'm thinking, again, vulnerability in relationships, same thing. You know, in my situation, too, I, I'm realizing whether it's in, in any relationship, as I was getting older and I realized that my my relationships had deepened when I was able to be completely authentic and was able to take the mask off and that I'm not there trying to impress anybody that that um, even 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 saying no, right? Not people pleasing. You know, there was a one actually one practitioner, one guest so wisely as she put it and said, you know, no is a full sentence. So being able to say no um, or being able to say, I'm sorry, I screwed up, right? And, and with, the, with the uncertain outcome and just sort of stepping into that ring, I think that was Brené Brown who said the ring of uncertainty. Um, yeah, look, this is, this is definitely an interesting topic. Um, we, we talked a good deal about work, well, softly. How do you balance um, the, uh, you know, or what is balance to you uh, between, between work and, and, uh, and, and outside of work? What do you enjoy doing? Um, what do I enjoy doing? First of all, I, uh, I do enjoy time with my family, whatever that might mean. Um, and it doesn't always have to involve an activity. It can, it can be, you know, just sharing time at dinner. It can be going off to see a show. Um, we're all into music in my family. I know we've talked about that a little bit. Um, per, you know, on my own, I, I do like reading um, spy novels and things like that. I love doing crossword puzzles. So I think the New York Times crossword puzzle app uh, gets a lot of time on my phone when I really want down and quiet time. Um, that's one of those where it's like you always feel the need, I always feel the need to explain like, it's the wordplay in the crossword puzzles because I don't know <laughs> The trivia, I'm, I'm horrible at the trivia. Like I'll admit, I have to get the downs. If it's an across trivia, I have to get it from the downs. But I love the wordplay and the trickery of the, the language and and the fun clues like that that make you go, oh, I get it. They meant it as you know. Um, so those are things I like doing. Uh, when I'm not here, I do like being. You know, we're we're in New York. I like going around and enjoying shows and seeing whether it's comedians or concerts, going to local venues and. And um, that's part of why I think we live in and around this city. So we try to take advantage of that. As far as the balance goes, um, I think the hard part is realizing that you don't, I didn't, I'm going to do the best I can. And I work hard and I care a lot. And I certainly like everyone that does what we do. Um, some portion of it is because I want to do well, because I've set that bar for myself. And and an equally high, if not higher part is because I owe it to the people that I've made a promise that I'm going to do a good job to them. And, and so now I'm going to, 
But I do think you have to recognize that, you know, stressing out, at, you know, in the evening while you're having dinner with your family is not going to help you be a better lawyer. Um, mm. If you're not actually working in the moment, being stressful and taking it out on people who aren't there, that's definitely not going to make you a better lawyer. I think there's a reason that we take the weekend off unless there's urgent work to do. And there's a reason we go on vacation. And I think you got to let your brain reset and do those things because people burn out what we do, right? Judges burn out, lawyers burn out. Um, you have, you know, you, you're going pretty strong, but um, I assume that you're managing that too, right? I mean, all that wellness care, I really think that does matter. I think otherwise you can't be fresh and good and smart when you wake up the next morning. Completely, yeah. completely agree. And and to you know, I, I've learned also that the, the to me, it's recharging yourself and doing whatever it takes. I love the way you put it is spending time is whatever that means. It could be just being sharing a dinner. It doesn't have to be a particular activity, you know, and it could be taking a walk, whatever it is and recharging. I, in a strange way, uh, it would, I, I what what almost what brings me back to that balance is is creativity being creative uh just sort of switching my brain to another activity i have a hard time sitting still <laughs> just but um but it's but it's it's drawing that line and and you know and i'm wondering too is listening a lot of what what you do in your line of work um it, it can be deeply emotional uh rightfully so how do you deal, you know, how do you deal with someone who is, um, you know, where it's, where it's deeply emotionally laden and, and, and how do you guide them, you know, to, um, I don't know, to making rational decision. You ultimately cannot impact, you know, that, but, but how do you deal with clients who are, who are very highly emotional? Well, I think, I appreciate the question. I don't know that it's the same for each of them, first of all. Um, but I do think that some of it is what we talked about before with the listening. Um, mm. I think when people are in that emotional state, um, like most young lawyers, when I when I talked more than I listened, uh, I didn't always let them fully express what they needed to say. So I think even just listening is a really good first step and hearing it all out. Um, depending on who the client is, you, you know, it's a one of the difficult decisions I think lawyers in our field have is how much of your own life are you going to share? How much are you going to say, I know what you're feeling, here's, and I get it because, you know, and to try to reach that human connection. And some of it depends on what your relationship is with that client and what the personal story is you need to tell um, and whether or not it's relevant or not, you know. Um, I mean, I'm not talking about deeply secretive facts of, of, of your childhood or your, your, your relationship, but you know, a struggle you had with finding a school for your child. You know, I know I went through that with my child when we had to find a school for that. And so, you know, some ability to make some kind of connection does help. I find sometimes people hear that they've been heard. Um, and so I do think there's a value in, um, I don't know if that qualifies as active listening or not, but to, to try to say, you know, I hear what you're saying and I hear you because it's making me think of this following experience that I had. And then the people feel like, okay, he really did hear me in my case. Um, although it, it only works if you have a personal story that's not too secretive and if it really does connect. Um, mm. So I think acknowledging the emotional aspect of their request and then letting them know, um, look, if I'm not yelling and screaming, it's because I'm thinking about what to do 
and how we're going to address this situation. Um, there are, you know, obviously there are people that want to hear that you're angry and upset. And so I'll say, look, I'm, that makes me very yeah. angry. I'm not, you know, but it's my job not to be angry. So I'm going to tell you that I'm angry and then I'm going to move on and tell you how we're going to try to calmly deal with it. Um, and it's a hard balance. I mean, I, I really appreciate you trying to call it out as the hard part of what we do. Yeah. Is acknowledging the emotion without feeling it is hard. Um, and I do oh. appreciate that's part of what your series has done in helping me watch how other lawyers have answered that question. Because uh, it, it looks like something we all struggle with, you know, and it's, it's certainly not yeah. something we like to advertise. It's not on my website. You know, Adam wants to get better at it. <laughs> uh, that's what we do, right? And, and if, yeah. if the lawyer tells me that they don't need to get better at that, then I would suggest that they're, they're probably not really paying attention to how hard it is. No, and I love what you said again, acknowledging but not feeling it. Wow. I don't know if you realize how profound that is because that is one of my, you know, one of my curiosities uh, when I speak with other attorneys is how do you deal with the emotional aspect and not taking it on as your own? And, you know, there is this word that is often used. You may have heard it as you listen to other interviews and they would say, I can't even say it today, compartmentalize, right? And to me, it's sort of a way of saying, well, I sort of put it in this little neat box. And when I come home, you know, it's filed away. I think, unfortunately, you know, life doesn't work that way so well all the time uh, because it's sort of, uh, you know, perfectly messy. So what you're saying is, is, you know, I, I, am, I am hearing you and I'm acknowledging it. Um, but I am not taking it on as 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 my own. That is pretty powerful. You can and you can. I, I could see like you can even um, you can even use that with with your children, who are oftentimes mad at you for not being mad along with them. Right. <laughs> so yeah, so you're hearing them, you're acknowledging them, but you don't have to enable them by feeling it with them. That's really powerful. Yeah, wow. I mean, I'll, I'll take it on as a cause, but not as an emotion that interferes with my ability mm -hmm. to do what I need to do. Um, yeah, yeah, wow. Um, I'm curious, what is your pet peeve, Adam? You know, what, what sort of hits your stuff, whether it's personal life, professional life? Um, wow. Um, well, I'm, I'm pretty impatient, but I don't have any patience for people who aren't even trying. Um, and that can be a difficult thing for me sometimes. So um, if I feel like I, I get a sense that somebody is using impatience as an excuse to avoid trying, and it's really hard to figure out when someone is doing that. But when it, when it becomes clear to me that there's like this sense of um, they don't want to try, so they just pretend, you know, they try to try to bypass something um that can get on my nerves a little bit um at least just say at least just say i'm not interested like okay then i get it yeah. so um, i can deal with that but pretending to be interested when you're not and then trying to brush it off um can, can can kind of get me irritated and i can probably i think the people know they've irritated me i think that's a weakness of mine is i'll i'll show my emotions on my face too often um, if i'm irritated <laughs> so Again, put it That's on the list honest. of things I hope to get better at someday. <laughs> or not. Or not. If I can't. 
Yeah. Um, if you were not practicing law, what else would you do? You know, one of two things probably, and it depends on when I started. You talked about teaching before. Um, I do a lot of uh, I do a lot of teaching with with um, bar association groups and uh, lawyers, non lawyers, mental health people, accountants. I do a lot of speaking. Um, I try to do that in a active, open way. You know, I don't I don't tend to lecture much. I do really like teaching. I like reading the room while I'm teaching. I like stopping mid sentence and saying, "You in the fourth row, you look really confused." Did I did I just say something I need to go over again? You know, and I really like interacting and that moment when the people in the class go, wow, I just got something out of this, um, out of this presentation. I just, that really means a lot to me. And I spend a lot of time here with the, with our, with our younger lawyers here, trying to get them um, to not just put out a better product, but to understand how they can do it better next time. Um, I mean, it's easy to mark up a document. It's a little harder to make people understand why you're marking it up. Um, so it's a teaching, you mentioned it before. I, I don't remember, telling you that I like doing that. So you must have picked it up from something else, which I respect a great deal in your observation there. Um, so I, I would love, I think teaching in some way or another would be really likely. Um, I'd love to say I'd be a good writer, but I don't know that I, I don't know. I mean, that strikes me as much harder. Um, I, I got better as a writer, as a, you know, being a lawyer, writing legal papers, affidavits and the like, um, because I love reading. You know, I guess I'd love to think I'd be a good writer, but I'd probably be a better teacher. Hmm. Random question just popped into my head. What What are you thinking about these days? These days, well, we're recording this on the first week of the new year. Um, and I think like most people, you know, you start the new year and you start thinking about what can I do a little bit better this year than last year? Um, little self-reflection and introspection. The fact that I also spent some of my New Year's Day getting ready to talk to you today about this. So I think some of the things we're talking about in this podcast are really right in line of what I've been doing the last day or two, just thinking about, you know, what do I want to do differently this year than last year? How do I want to try to um, get it a little closer to right than I did before? Um, and there's really no bad time to do that. I think it's okay that we all set aside this week to do it, but periodically throughout the year, not a bad idea to revisit it. Um, it's not unlike there are times where early on in a client representation, I'll ask them what they're out to accomplish. And then sometimes <laughs> periodically in the middle of the representation, you got to pull out that list again, because um, it's amazing. People add things to that list while it's go while the, while the representation is going on. You got to remind them, you know, a year ago, you told me there were three things that are important. Um, and you're now up Ooh. to about seven or eight things you want me to accomplish. Like, can I just focus on the <laughs> Can I just remind you we're doing really good progress on the three that you said were important when you came here? Um, but it's okay to revisit periodically how you're doing. And, and um, I'm not a fan of putting everything in terms of metrics and measuring them, but I am a big fan of, of taking stock and thinking about what did you want to accomplish and how much of that have you done? You know, being realistic and what you said, it sounds like it's a process rather than a hard and fast goal that's always measurable. And and I think in, in, in my experience, even in my own life, it's a, it's you setting yourself up for failure. And sometimes, you know, we're, 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 we forget to sort of, if we do look back, 
Um, rather than focusing what we haven't accomplished is really taking stock, as you said, what we have accomplished. And it's amazing. I think it, we're, we're almost um, conditioned, programmed to be always, to be skeptics, to anticipate the worst, to look back and say, hmm, yeah, I could have done this better. I could have had more. So like for me, it's, it's really being more in the moment because that moment is passing you by when you're focused on what was or what might be. And then just really, you know, give yourself a pat on the back and say, wow, okay, I really did that last, you know, maybe a last, you know, last year, but then moving, moving forward. So this, um, this has been really great, Adam. I feel like we could just sit here and, 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 and just chat for, for a long time. And you know what, I will have you back before the year ends. And I'll be curious in terms of where you feel you have gotten with your list uh, and some of your goals for this year. Well, that'd be great. I've um, enjoyed getting to know you better in this process too. So um, anytime you'd like, it'd be fun to continue this conversation. And, uh, you know, and, and again, your journey from, from math and science enthusiast to a compassionate, compassionate really and thoughtful attorney it really is inspiring. And, and again, thank you so much for sharing your story and insights, you know, with us today. And thank you for having me again. Appreciate it. And to our viewers and listeners to find out more about Adam Wolf, check out his bio link below and remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel beyond the bar podcast and follow us on all social media channels until next time. Stay curious and inspired.